Dr. Laura. And I'm Matthew. And this is We Changed Change Our Minds Podcast. it's helpful before we get started just as a friendly reminder that the materials and contents of this podcast are presented for educational and informational purposes only so the materials and contents are not medical psychological legal or other professional advice and they're not intended to be substituted for professional medical advice diagnosis or treatment so if you have any specific questions about your health or healthcare decisions please seek the advice of a licensed healthcare professional but driving through the south, probably Georgia someplace, with the oh. bus, Kesey in 1964, before it all started happening, and, and uh, he gets pulled, it's like the middle of the night, he gets pulled over by this, this uh, redneck, you know, see, most people would probably panic, deep south, you know, Neil jumps out of the car, of, of the bus, and he runs back to the car, and, and the cop car, and says, at last, someone I can talk to! Oh, yes. Can you believe that we are back? Jamming another episode. It's so amazing. Oh, gosh. What are we? This is uh, this is episode four. Hey. Already, yes. And yeah. This honestly is one of the most special topics to me. Oh my I'm gosh. really excited about this episode, particularly. It's really an organic process, isn't it? Kind of the the, the uh, direction that each episode takes. We don't really pre-plan it, but as we as we get our guests and and get our interviews and stuff together, these topics kind of naturally come forward that that seem like they want some attention. We've got a particularly special guest, I think, this episode as well. First off, just it's uh, as we've talked about before, and just for all of our listeners, the Grable Dead is a kind of you know, foundation <laughs> for me and, and us, right? Kind of. It's, it's like it just uh, it informed me in so many ways, and I feel uh, like I yeah. just kind of grew up with it. And it is so, our tribe. Yeah, and that um great Northwest psychedelic tribe of, like, people and fun, and so all of that stuff just is, like, incredibly... In, intertwined with who I am as a person. Right? I can't even like separate it. It's just part of me. <laughs> yeah, we really, the way I see it is we both really came up, you know, kind of came of age, you know, on Grateful Dead Tour at the shows, you know, really having kind of these right, rites of passages, you know, into from, you know, adolescence into adulthood in the midst of all of that. And, you know, Mountain Girl and the Mary Pranksters and Keezy were really mythical figures when i was a teenager you know i i was on the other side of the country you know alabama going to high school and we just reading reading about 
them. And uh, uh, to think that we have had the, you know, she, she's been, she's been a, a good close friend of mine now for, oh, I think we met in 1998. I was thinking like too, you know, has, uh, the reflections of how so much has changed over time. I mean, here we are mm. in this modern day possibly psychedelic renaissance right where we're yeah. starting to see a great and we've talked about it before but it, it can't be emphasized enough like there's a tremendous amount of information research uh investment uh curiosity conversation about psychedelics mm. and i don't know about you but that wasn't always the case <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I remember, God, you know, I still, I can't shake it. It's, it was so deeply ingrained in me, just how careful everybody had to be and how hush-hush the whole scene was. I mean, I still hesitate to like, you know, I, I don't, I, I, I still act now, but I, in the back of my mind, I feel a part of me being hypervigilant when it comes to like typing in a search term that's like a psychedelic or a, you know, there's that thing of like, you'll, you're going to be watched. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, you you have like an ongoing paranoia. <laughs> Pretty much. I guess so. Like a hypervigilance that, <laughs> yeah. that never went away. This is probably a better word for hypervigilance, it. Hypervigilance. You know? Yeah. But you that, know. I mean, part of like. But it's real. I mean, you had to be that way back then. You could get in some serious fucking trouble. Yeah. Well, before there was like the internet, there was like, I guess, forms of communication. They are so antiquated now, but like, you know, what, uh, the telephone? Right, exactly. <laughs> and, you know, finding out about things and just having the opportunity to think there are other people out there that think and feel the same way you do was a very big deal for me, right? Okay. And especially if they were doing things that were fun and innovative and creative and mm. all of that kind of good stuff. Mm. When I was like about, I don't know, 15, 14. Um, there's this magazine called Relics Magazine. It's amazing. It's still out. Like if you guys have never checked it out, it, it's just great, right? Oh. They used to have this thing called Deadheads Behind Bars. And it was like this way to do pen pal ship with people that had gotten incarcerated or locked up that, that were that. deadheads. I never saw and that. Wow. In the back, like where they have like the list of things and it was called Deadheads Behind Bars. And I saw this person named Rainbow Joe. And I just huh. like uh anyone who's named Rainbow has Joe has to just be a nice person, right? Yeah. And have like his penitentiary and his number and all that stuff. And so I got one of those like, you know, white envelopes and stamps and wrote out and I wrote him a letter and I was his oh. pen pal. Oh yeah. Yeah. And Did you so, hear her back from him and all that? And so it was really funny because um I then I had this high school project where um where they were like, oh, you need like a, like where you can do correspondence or it was some kind of like project, right? And so I was like, oh, I've got a pen pal. And then I remember the people at the school had like a flip out that I was like a teenage girl writing some <laughs> incarcerated man that was like a, like a, you know, he was selling drugs and like all this stuff. And it kind of like was, became like a little thing, you know? Oh but, my gosh. but so that was like one of the very first um, experiences that I I had realizing hey all this fun that we're having maybe has some consequences just hearing the personal stories from someone about wow. how easy 
their life could change in the drop of a hat yeah. was a little surprising to me, right? Well, what did you learn about Rainbow Joe's whole, you know, thing? <laughs> well, if you're out there listening, Rainbow. Rainbow Joe. <laughs> I hope you're doing good. Call man. in, man. Right? Call, Call in. in. I hope you're doing well. well you know? and, you. and it was one of these just note stories that oh, as you became more and more and more, you know, seasoned on tour out in that life, you start to realize all it takes is just one um, getting pulled over or just the wrong person in the room or the wrong place at the wrong time. Uh, you didn't necessarily have to be, um, you could just be like a just nice, innocent, yeah. easy person that's sure. really kind and good. And you could find yourself in a whole entire different life. So that was one of the first, I think, you know, personal experiences I had with that. Yeah. Did you learn about the circumstances of his, of his charges? Yeah, or? he was, um, he was driving um, on tour and got pulled over okay. and things yeah. did not go well. Yeah. And that was a very, man, it was, it was like hot, you know, it was like touring through some pretty hostile territory. Some of the States, they played, you know, the spring tours that would go through the South, you know, the roadblocks. There was often, I remember, um, drug checkpoints, you know, yeah. like coming out of the show, you, you're, you know, you're on the highway trying to get to the campground and they would just have the, uh, they'd have the whole diversion trip set up where, you know, it, it, it's a drug checkpoint ahead and then they'd be waiting for you if you exited. You yeah. Know, if, you, if you tried to get off the exit, they'd have it blocked <laughs> and they'd have dogs and everyone's getting searched, you know. Yeah, I used to have people in my van used to rely on me because they were like, wow, you're like a Jedi. You can like feel that coming before it happens. Is that right? I don't know if that was necessarily true, but there was this kind of like sixth sense. Maybe I was just kind of tuned into it or or something. (laughs) I did at least by luck or whatever circumstance tend to have a pretty good track record, at least enough for people to joke on me about it. (laughs) (laughs) You never never ran into any troubles uh, uh, on Grateful Dead tour. Oh, yes, we did. You know it's true, Matthew. We couldn't avoid any of it. I mean, how many times you get tear gas? or have like horses like stomping things or like you know there was just nuttiness all around when you have that many people and that much of a police presence you're bound to have crossed that a couple times right oh well i had had some friends had some close calls but i unfortunately did not i somehow skated around all of that but it was, yeah, I witnessed a lot. And there was like crazy stuff like in Charlotte. I don't know how much of this is urban legend and how much is fact. I'm sure the listeners out there can fact check this. But uh, in Charlotte um, Coliseum, for example, they actually had the police station downstairs where they were just like straight had so many people. They were just booking right there on the grounds. They would have like oh, the yeah. whole entire thing processing, you know. Well, I remember at Charlotte Coliseum, what I do remember seeing is they had like a scopes and they were, um, you know, just surveying the crowd from a distance. And then they had heavy undercover presence uh, mixed into the crowd, just trying to catch people selling doses, setting people up even like, you know, entrapment stuff. Oh, man. Yeah. There was a lot of um, profiling that would happen. Oh, big time. And on the highways, really in a terrifying way, you know. Trying, trying to drive two, two, two shows through states was, was, was definitely an exercise in great peril. Yeah. 
And and so I even though times have changed a lot, that doesn't mean that there aren't still people kind of experiencing some of the consequences of that now to this day. Yeah. There are cats who got some long sentences that that I imagine are still serving time. And yeah. it, it, it doesn't just affect you. It can like affect your, you know, family and all kinds of people. Oh, yeah. No, personally yeah. in my Devastating family. consequences. Yeah. And it, and it starts off where you might, I don't know. I had a kind of awareness that there was a lot of risk and consequences, but I also had this idealism and huh. I wouldn't call it quite a naivety, but I just saw how amazing and beautiful and good and positive my personal experiences were. Yeah. So I had this kind of disconnect between this, you know, idea that it was like a problem and bad and should be punished and litigious and all of this stuff versus the fact that inherently in my heart, I felt like it was a good positive thing. Okay, so in that way, worth worth taking on the risks. Yeah, exactly. But also, but also hard to hard to truly grok like like what it would mean, you know, if things went south, right? I mean, it's, it, getting arrested is the kind of thing where until it happens to you, it's really hard to to imagine in a way that you could accurately assess the risk. I mean, yeah. That was always my my take on it. You know, I mean, it's kind of this abstract concept of you know, what that would what that would actually be like, and then and then when it actually happens, it's it's a harsh reality. I personally happen to know that firsthand, and yeah. I've seen what a monstrous it is. Oh my god! You gosh. know, a really close partner and friend and family member and. Mm have really experienced what it looks like to have your home raided, to have guns to your kids' heads, to uh, find out what it means to literally have your life changed at the drop of the hat and be nonviolent people, to not have any, you know, uh, criminal intent, not be like you know, quote unquote, bad guys, right? But to be treated like that and what that means past just the arrest, it doesn't just end there. That's only the beginning. Okay. All the stuff that leads up to it, right? Oh, that's, wow. So you've been through that. That's, that's really powerful. Um, yeah, really, there are no words for it, right? It's a podcast. We're supposed to be articulate and be yeah. able to verbalize our thoughts yeah. and be, you know, I eloquent. But there really are some things that you can only try to describe. But unless an individual has actually lived through it, that is only part of the story. Because not yeah. only does it not just begin the minute you get arrested right you're going to go through an entire legal um battle you're going to like have to have attorneys you're going to have to be in a position to afford the attorneys or get a public defender or defend yourself you have to um go through an entire legal process then there's sentencing then there's incarceration depending whether it's state or federal um, all of those things 
are going to, you know, determine possibly the rest of your life Mm -hmm. and mass incarceration of, you know, nonviolent drug offenders is really, I think, a sad state of affairs in our society in our country and i hope that some of the research and some of the larger nonprofits and huge luminaries that are really working not only to decriminalize and legalize psychedelics and working towards harm reduction and recovery one of the reasons i'm so behind this is because i've i've just personally seen it firsthand i know what it looks like to look at your babies your children and have cops literally holding Mm. literal guns over their head where they're crying and screaming and ripping their parents out of their lives oh and the next gosh. time that they see them and the only times that we'll ever see them for their entire childhoods is um, in a visitation situation wow. incarcerated wow. and so harsh yeah I don't think you can ever prepare for what that looks like for people yeah. and and, I, and I'm not trying to have a biased perspective because of any personal experiences. I think it just informs how I really understand it. And, okay. and yeah, it might add to my compassion and it might give me – but it gives me a big picture view. Like the lens through um, which I can really see the how the main drivers of mass incarceration kind of – play into lots of levels of things and in order to kind of struggle with addiction struggle with drug use struggle with all these things these are like complicated things because i think it's this idea that like all drugs are bad all drugs are going to harm people all drugs are going to kill people all drugs are negative and i think what our podcast hopefully can show is that it's more nuanced than that yeah that's right tim g what sparked her off with this particular topic is she had recently some folks who were making an upcoming movie about lsd and you know the clandestine manufacturing the basically the the ins and outs of underground lsd manufacturing and distribution uh keep you know look for it folks it's coming out i think this year we came to visit her and talk to her we're both heads who got wrapped up in that they got they got taken down in the 90s for lsd and had served oh i guess close to like 20 years one of them he had a life sentence and he was out because obama pardoned him you know on his way out at the end of his presidency otherwise he'd still be there today well i'm going to turn it over to our special guest we met when i was working for Paul Stamets at Fungi Perfecti in the 90s. Paul had this wonderful idea to host a millennial mushroom conference. So this was right at the cusp of 1999 into 2000. I believe it was Halloween. And we hosted a just a epic group of, of elders and luminaries and teachers and uh, chemists and freakazoids and just, just it was, it was a really intimate, wonderful conference at Brightbush Hot Springs, idyllic retreat center out in the woods in Oregon, built around some natural hot springs. And um, 
our guests and speakers they flew in from all over. We had we had Sasha and Ann Shulga and Andrew Weil and oh just just it was it was a star packed weekend. And among our guests that we had we invited in was Ken Keasley and the Merry Pranksters. We invited Ken. I actually was how I first met those guys. He did me a solid and it really opened some doors in my life. He he basically put, he pulled me aside one day and said, hey, Matthew, he's like, I got, you know, we got this conference coming up. It's very important. We got to be, you know, a lot to do. And, and I got this special job for you and I need you to really take it seriously. And he, he hands me Ken Kesey's phone number and says, we're bringing in Kesey. Uh, I want you to be his assistant. Check in with him, get in touch, introduce yourself, make sure he has everything he needs this weekend and everything goes smooth. Uh, do it, you know. And I, yes, sir, right away. And I was, you know, I was 19 or so. Um, dream gig, you know, it was just, just tremendous. And so what ended up happening was the Kesey and the further bus drove from Kesey's farm to the Portland airport and scooped up all of the folks coming in from all over the, the world, really, and country, picked everyone up, all the speakers, you know, at the airport and, and loaded everyone in the bus and... I was following behind the bus in our company rental van with everyone's luggage. <laughs> that was my, my, also my job. I was the luggage boy and followed the bus, went winding through the Oregon countryside. And it was just, you know, it was one of my, one of my sweetest memories. I, so I got to know Ken and, and, and we became friends and stayed in touch. And I eventually went on to, to work and volunteer for Intrepid Trips, his business that they had out of Pleasant Hill. I was introduced that weekend to who's now a dear friend of 20 plus years, and our special guest today, Carolyn Mountain Girl Garcia. She was there with, with her crew, with the pranksters, uh, George Walker, Keezy. And uh, we, you know, we just connected that weekend and we stayed in touch and just over the years built, uh, you know, one of my, one of my more prized friendships. Uh, she's, she's been just invaluable to me as a, as a, as a teacher. You know, she's taught me so much about good humor and the art of conversation. Real well and hard earned wisdom that she picked up along the way in all her experiences, both with the Merry Pranksters in the early days, you know, the acid tests and, and that whole thing that they launched. And then her time growing up in the center of the Grateful Dead from the earliest days in 710 and raising daughters with Jerry and Archie. Our guest last week was her daughter with Keezy, Sunshine, and just who she is as a mother and a gardener, you know, and a speaker, and just a woman, a voracious reader who knows something about everything and has a world-class, sharp as a knife, wit and vocabulary. Uh, she's such a pleasure to talk to, and she was very, very generous, just wanting to be get her voice on our platform. We were hanging out up in Eugene, and I just, you know, let her know that we had this project we're working on, we changed our minds, and asked her if she wanted to get her voice out, out to all you all, if there's anything she wanted to say right now, and, and this is what was on her mind. And, you know, it's really the first time I've heard someone from the inner band circles really speak to this topic, and it, it really was very powerful to me, and I have a lot of respect for her, that this matters as much as it does to her. You can just... You can hear and feel her genuine passion and emotion. And I hope that these words and this episode gets a ball rolling. And we can, that you all hear my voice. If you care about this, we can lend your ideas, lend your gifts, your resources. Let's get something going. 
you're at the dawn of this new wave of, of psychedelic therapies and accessibility and you know really let's be honest some profits are going to be coming in let's first take care of the injustices of the past that are still relics before we move forward into a brighter future you know it just would not be right leave these guys who were on the front lines in the times when it when it was so dangerously illegal and who have lost their freedom and their lives to have forwarded people's you know, access to these medicines and to really help us get where we are now at this time in history where the doors are opening and people don't have to risk that anymore. Let's take care of them first, you know, because there's still a lot of guys and gals who know their names, you know, they, they probably feel very forgotten, who are still in cages for doing these things that, that we know brings healing and brings life affirmation and goodness and laughter and love to all of us. Let's take care of them first. So I bring to you the illustrious, the great Carolyn Mongro Garcia. And Laura, we'll check in afterwards and, and keep talking. All right, here we go. Hey, sweetie, it's so good to see you. Thanks for making this time to share your thoughts with everybody. And I know I've been really curious to catch up with you on, on this topic because you've really witnessed in your, over the course of your lifetime this, this unprecedented arc of these ancient medicines becoming really discovered in the West, erupting or blossoming and just pervading the culture in the 1960s, becoming illegal. In 1966, and it just stuffed in the bag, and all the research shut down. And now here we are, 55 some plus years later, 2022, standing at this proverbial new dawn. Right at the moment when things were just about to get really interesting, uh, coming from our sojourn in Mexico where we had just been for six months, mm -hmm. like seven, I had been, yeah, I think I'd been gone for about seven months altogether. And before that, we hadn't been in San Francisco at all, you know, except to, to put on, oh, was that put right? on shows. Prior to, to do that. some little shows, yeah. And which year, what year is this? This is 66? Yeah, I think. I think it's 66. And so uh, we came back to San Francisco, and it was just like, oh, wow, it's so great to see you. You know, we'd been in Mexico on yeah. the run. We'd been kind of been out of the country you sure. know for, and for SF was in full bloom too at that yeah point, and it? we had to come back after six months though and that was the that was the rub so after six pretty you know interesting as well but isolated um, months down in Mexico we came back and we had to hightail it we had to go as fast as we possibly could to get to the next gig because we was? had a gig at the San Francisco State University, you know, San Francisco State in, in San Francisco. As it is. Not exactly. It was called the Whatever It Is Festival. And I actually have, I have, a, little, I have a little piece of the advertising for that. 
but it was Stuart Brands, who was a promoter in San Francisco, uh, who is was completely unique and notable, and we really loved the guy because he put on really interesting shows. They weren't the normal entertainments at all. <laughs> it was magic. The whole thing was just magic. So, you know, we had this thing to go to, and then suddenly we were, there we were in San Francisco looking for things to do. Well, how are you feeling about the current state of psychedelics in America? It's an amazing moment for psychedelics in America. Ta-da. dun 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 <laughs> And the world. You know, announcing psychedelics yes. in America. Yes. Because you, this is unique. And part of me wants sure. to step out on that type rope, and the rest mm-hmm. of me says, oh, why don't you give it a few minutes and let somebody larger and weightier than you go out there and see <laughs> if things going to hold. You want you an know? opening act. Yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> just test the... Test the legality of the of the tightrope in our current yeah. Uh, yeah. political situation, and see if it holds up. So, mm. um, are you hopeful? Very. I mean, it was it, well done. I would say applause, applause. Everybody. Thank you so much. So you many know, people worked for. This. We are good citizens. You know, those of us who would approach. Uh, 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 yes, yes. Never. Mm-hmm. We would like to be accepted. <laughs> <laughs> Your future's but, looking bright in that room. But I, yeah, I feel like a lot of work has been done, and sacrifices made uh, to our brethren, and we've sort of come out with brands, and it's kind of exciting. Yeah, we have. You know, this is a legal business. Did you ever in the sixties? Imagine trying to just imagine a time when they would be integrated into culture. We talked we about it to? all the time. Did we you? expected that it would be legal next month. In fact, that was the perennial rumor huh. in the sixties. Of course, they're going to legalize. It. I mean, why wouldn't they? It oh. was like da da da. You know, nice source of revenue for the government. Yes. You know, makes people all peaceful and pleasant. It does. <laughs> it does make perfect sense. <laughs> it makes perfect sense. We just sit around and talk to each other and giggle a lot huh. and don't get in trouble. So, no, the government said this is the most heinous, you know, heinous source of criminal activity ever known to me. Threat to civilization. So they made pot even more illegal there for a while. Yeah. So that made it really difficult. A lot of kids got uh, unfortunate detention of one kind and another. Well, if you could design it, if it was just up to you, you could, could in your mind, create the most ideal setting the way that psychedelics would become integrated in America, what would it look like? Well, it'd be osmosis. You know, the the osmosis is the um, word for soaking it up. And mm. uh, what I have experienced a, a period in America when only a very, very small handful of people had even tried psychedelics in this country. I mean, as far as I knew. So, really, the the next thing was was the beginning of sneaky acceptance and, and experimentation and, you know, people giving themselves up into the psychedelic experience and having a, having a good experience, which was something you kind of had to learn how to do. It's uh-huh. like, you know, it's yeah. like on a, it's a little bit like being on um, roller skates for the first time, you know, and you're, you're not or on pushing a big, out to sea. You're, you're not really on a big hill. It's e- pretty easy, oh, but you got to master the skates. Mm, so, well said. you know, you just have to stay within yourself to try to get your balance in yeah. the psychedelic atmosphere and then contain, you yes. know, we're trying to connect and contain with people. 
Well, especially in the early days, I, I just am imagining that there was really no, I mean, you were truly blazing a new frontier and there wasn't much of a context into how no. to behave or deal with them or interact with them, or right? So, so how did Compared we deal? Yeah, how did we deal with that? How different it was? Well, we made it up as a type of theater. Mm. And so we kind of got this notion of, of theater as being the, the envelope for an experience. So you get people Love into that. the theater that have a, a sort of an inkling of what you're up about. You know, what, you know they should experience something mm. unique and, and strange. Mm. <laughs> they came flocking in, as it turned out, especially when, when we added the band. <laughs> the band was oh. like, it was just like honey. Okay. You know, they were really good. They just played their, their hearts out. I have to say, just very high energy events. And then we had we had we had other ones that didn't have bands also that were done with amplified music and participatory, a lot of participatory huh? clanging, banging, tootling, and whistling and, and wheedy deedling, which actually turned out really well. You know, a lot of people took music lessons mm. as kids, mm. so it really it kind of worked. So all I can say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> were there any spoken ground rules? The ground rules. We're unspoken, I would say. Mm -hmm. You have to, you, when you come in and pay your dollar, you are instructed to stop here by the punch bowl or the garbage can, as it were, and dip your, here's your cup. You get your, your little tiny disc, Dixie cup, not mm -hmm. tiny, tiny, but you know, the wee ones mm -hmm. for like kids' birthday parties. And someone had figured out beforehand how many micrograms were in that cup. We bowl? were, yes. Okay. Supposedly. It was, fair, it was supposedly. fairly precise. <laughs> Supposedly, <laughs> until every yeah. cowboy town comes and throws his no, it we we kept pretty close eye on it, mm. mostly. But so they would take their little dip of cup and just one, and we would say just one, you know, and, and shoe them in or you know, whatever knew size what was in it. We we tried to be careful and not not have them take more than about seventy five. Mm. Oh. Oh, that's yeah, much, that's that much was more the reasonable goal. than I assumed. Yeah, well, for the first out, mm. not not an unreasonable decision to make. You know, they may like it, and they may not. Good for like a room it. full of people, though. That's you know manageable for most, I would right. say. Right, but some people have to go sit down. They don't like it. They want to go home, and you're going like, well, can you just sit over here for a while? And you know, welcome to the theater. <laughs> yeah. So yes, and there was a good deal of actormanship, I would say. So we had actor men uh, frolicking through the through the <laughs> crowd in in gay caps and bells, basically jesters, and 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 then handing out stuff to wear too mm. you know a finery and regalia and people really appreciated that you know so they'd dress up and and the music would play or whatever uh -huh. would happen uh -huh. and and uh yeah there was often an open mic in the middle of the floor so mm. anybody could get on there and either you know say what they do harangue us with whatever story they felt necessary to tell <laughs> or just, or just start singing along with the music, you know. It, it just it was it was set up to be fun. Yeah. And then uh, we had to manage all of that though. And what what did that involve? Just make because okay, chords get unplugged by dancing feet. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, the reg the um, film breaks. Oh. The, in the in the you know the projections I, huh? in the projections. Um, 
That's if people get lost in the building, they say, I'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> hey, has anyone <laughs> seen uh, Bob? Exactly. So, you know, your job was to stick with the projectors. You know, stay with the liquid lights. You know, mm-hmm. keep, keep putting water in those bowls and moving them around. So Roy and I did that. That was our job. And then Intrepid Traveler would stand up on the balcony and uh, with a microphone and harangue the audience a little bit and, and do some hoorah, what okay. I would call hoorah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> was there someone making sure no one wandered out of the building, like into the streets? or? Uh, that wasn't, that wasn't an freely, issue. Huh? Was that wasn't issue. really an issue. Mm. Yeah, People usually got inside and stayed inside. That's where the fun They was. were ready to leave. But you couldn't stop people from leaving. Yeah, yeah. Or you didn't you didn't unless they were acute. I see. And most people weren't. You know, we made the punch weak enough that you would have to drink like you know, like sixteen ounces to have a real mm. to have a melter, you know. Mm. Mm. So that... <laughs> we a really melter. didn't we didn't really want to handle with it. We just wanted to just get them over the edge. To the area of dance and, and you know, goofing off and yeah. being silly and picking up the handbells. That's just right. Playing music yeah. with the band and just swirling about the floor and having, and having a time. We'd go all night, generally? Yeah. yeah. It was often more of a dance than it was of a, of a uh, you know, theatrical performance. We found that theatrical performances are good for, you know, short periods but to go on was too much people would drift away mm-hmm. and they really wanted to move around when you're high mm-hmm. you don't want to stand still mm-hmm. and absorb a performance for more than about 50 seconds maybe you know 40 45 seconds and uh-huh. then they're you know they need to keep their legs moving mm-hmm. so because they're high Right? Yeah, sure. <laughs> you want to not don't, don't stop the flow yes well, band, well, a central band is very good for that, right? Because they they, they present a stream of a current yeah. everyone can ride on for we and build love, the energy. Yeah. And. You got it. It's so great for bands. The string cheese is my recent delight. Oh, yeah. yeah. They are so great when you're just a little bit zoomed. You know, you're just like, <laughs> oh, damn, this is just great. You know, it makes you feel really good. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, there's, there just hasn't been a whole lot of music coming through here lately yes and uh we've we've suffered for the lack however each of us has a lovely collection of music you know and we have these wonderful services that frankly i forget how to use and then suddenly <laughs> i'll wake up you know so and, many oh, options wait i have an option vast libraries of recordings so at your fingertips but we you know we've all dived into music as a meditative uh adjunct you mm, know mm. it's our assistant mm. you know it's our friend it's been a wonderful thing to be uh able to dial up music you know to get it on the radio Certainly. to go to a concert you know and have it be this really amazing event mm. we've been really privileged oh sure and we're we're happy about it that's right <laughs> that was inseparable from your whole scene since yeah. the beginning right no no. It used to be a lot of work. Oh, well, that, yeah. 
it got easier as you went. Yeah, Everyone we got to, better. We used to have to do freaking jail time. You know, oh, yeah. we'd have to get arrested. We'd have to get talked to by the police. It was just occupational you know, hazards. It was it was hazardous. Yeah, and we didn't get paid. I didn't get paid ever mm. for any of the work I did mm. there. Mm. When I left, I had nothing, mm. and it was like I never thought they would pay me because we were all equal partners. That's right. But um, it just, I just, it only struck me in, in recent years, like, huh, how would that happen? But when did when did it, when do you remember it branching off into really money being a part? You know, it, it, it getting a level of success where 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 there needs to be a certain amount coming in to pay for the production, and then it kind of got rolling from there. Or when did it? When do you recall that? Where where, where it shifted gears what, into a what, different thing? Name a year. For this, because this is... This 19... Is, what was it looking like in uh, 1970? Let's see. 1970. Think about that. Oh. Um, that was, you know, that was... Has anybody got gas money for the truck? Mm, mm. So, uh, it was it was pretty bare bones. Um, the band was t- uh, touring, touring. Yeah, con- 1970 was the year Annabelle was born. This is the only way I can track this stuff. So, um, yeah, we were living in Larkspur, and it was the year it rained every single day. Wow. For all winter long. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was crazy. It never stopped. You know, it just, just rained. It rained some, or it rained a lot, but never heard it that. rained. Wow. And and so we were, like, huddled in the house. You know, I had baby Annabelle. Uh, it was the Hunter, living Hunter, with you guys, and Jerry I, and him we were, were writing really, American Beauty stuff, right? That's correct. Wow. What a rich period. It was, but, but uh, the um, basically, uh, Jerry somehow arranged for us to get that house... I had been house hunting at a at a much lower rental rate mm. because I didn't realize there was somebody else working on this, but they came up with a really nice house for Hunter and Christy and uh, Jerry and myself and the kids, mm. and then we got puppies right after that. <laughs> there, the neighbors had the most adorable puppies, Aww. and uh, one of them became the town dog of Stinson Beach. And the other one, uh, I'm not sure what happened to her, but yeah, it was a nice town. We were very fortunate to be in that house. It was the perfect place for, for my youngest child. Oh, yeah. It was very safe yes. and pleasant. And still close to the city for, for, yeah. for work. And hmm. How was that creative energy, like having, having Jerry and, and Hunter writing those songs in the house? It was fairly intense. Yeah. Uh, it was, Hunter was very uh, insular. And so rarely made an appearance. Okay. Um, but he would, if we were active in the house somewhere, he would. He was shy. Mm. He was very shy. He didn't like to interact with people. Did they work on songs together in that like kind of living room? Yes. Oh, they did. Oh, how but, lovely! But but it would ter- Jerry would Jer- Hunter would hand Jerry, as you know, three or four sheets of paper, mm. and Jerry would look at them and say, "Oh, wow, man." Uh, you know, this is great. It's kind of like, take these and see what you can do. Huh? Exactly. Okay. So, and then he would one by one work out work out music for him. What an exquisite era for that. And he did it like in minutes. Yeah. And he had melodies for those because he would just he would just go upstairs and look at the words and pick one and 
Wow. And write a little deedle, beetle, deedle, deedle to it, you know. <laughs> Sounds like he was deedle, deedle, beetling all and the time. And then he'd anyway. and then he'd 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 mess with that for you know a few performances and see what he could do with it. Because mm, so. mm. I know the release of those albums, Working Man's Dead and American Beauty, really um, not only did it shift the band into a different creative era, but it it brought new attention. It kind of moved moved them from into a different stage of, I would say, demand. Yeah, it's Music. interesting. I, I, I didn't pay attention to that stuff mm-hmm. at all. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I was aware of it because I heard about it, but it didn't impact the situation mm-hmm. at all. Gotcha. They were always down at the bottom of the list somewhere, you know, as far as popularity. Yeah. Until they weren't. I see. Which was really nice. Just took a hell of a <laughs> Which was side. much later in the 80s, huh? Yeah, okay. it was funny. And uh, it's okay. I mean, I know, I know the... Grateful Dead have stalwart adherents to the very end of time. Mm-hmm. So thank you, everybody, yeah, for yeah. finally getting it. But because, uh, well you know, I just lived that music, you know, backstage yeah. and stuff. It was like so important to me to make it. They wouldn't they didn't like me to come to rehearsal, uh, partly because I sometimes had kids with me, mm-hmm. which was a no, no. But uh, because of the equipment and uh you know, I, it, rehearsal was not where they really wanted mm-hmm. me to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I didn't go to those very much. So I didn't really get to see how they developed stuff. You'd hear the final often. product often at the show. Yeah, they would try, they would come out with, they didn't, they didn't rehearse in front of anybody. Mm-hmm. Really. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, really. Yeah, got it. Just the, the equipment <laughs> guys there to help replug, you know, whatever wasn't working. Yeah. What rises, what rises to the surface as far as some of the real takeaways that you gleaned from your LSD experiences throughout the years that still really stay with you and have become a part of your value system? Well, yeah, I would say the most, to me, it was incredibly important to stick with my buddies and mm. not wander off, which I did a couple of times, to mm. my peril. Mm. To my peril because I was no longer the same person that I had been. I could I could pretend to be independent, but I just I just didn't operate in the regular world the way I used to, you oh, know. Right. I changed. Yeah. It changes you. It came so, like a group organism really. Yeah. Sort of. So when I get out on the road or do a big hitchhiking tour or something you know, or have my motorcycle break down and have to walk a long way and stuff. I, I didn't, I didn't do very well. What was the difference? I don't know. I was, I was, it was a little scary. I was more willing to get in the wrong car, frankly. Yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah. So anyway, because, you know, sometimes you're out in the middle of somewhere at night and you go to hitchhike. Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah, that that's really not cool. That's a good <laughs> really not cool. Right. It just doesn't end well. Yes, better to have your yeah. friends around you. Yeah. Um, and even so, even so, you know, just going on a journey by yourself, I don't think it's a I don't think it's cool at all these days. Mm-hmm. That I did that by myself was everybody like that you did that by yourself, you know, uh, like look, I'm going like, well, Duh. Yeah. Of course. You know, because of the self-confidence of of an 18-year-old. You know, I was totally self-confident. I could handle any situation. Mm -hmm. Can you believe that? Well, you did. Luckily, nobody nobody actually got around to pulling a gun on me, you Mm. know. Mm -hmm. But uh, it just... 
yeah, I don't recommend it, but it's, uh, by cutting, cutting you loose at an unpleasant moment, mm -hmm. that has happened. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, there's somebody out there that you can trust in yeah, a pinch. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So nothing wrong with making new friends with, with people that you meet that you, you like, you know, that you just like, oh, I, I like that person. Yeah. You know, no you telling don't make a, friends. No telling when a real gem of a person will come along. I, well, you know, yeah. They can always walk in your life. Yeah. So we've had, a, you know, we've had a, an opportunity to meet some really nice people. But since COVID, we haven't met anybody <laughs> yeah, except Joey fuck? Tony. My lampshade. <laughs> I know my lampshade yeah. real well. Yep. The picture's on the wall. I'm talking to them. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I've, I've got to break out of this cocoon here. Yes, understood. That's all there is to It's a good idea to adapt to a, knife, a new lifestyle. Mm, you know, mm. and I'm not sure where that, what that's going to be like. Okay, sure. What? What? You know, what are we supposed to do? Well, I, I don't know, but I know we had good training in comfort with uncertainty. Yes. From psychedelics. Comfort with uncertainty. No, at a certain Comfort just, with chaos. Right? Oh, I, I agree. I agree. I just, it's like sometimes I get a little overly excited and I rush into situations without thinking about the ramifications of my presence. Well, the waves start to roll, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. and I'm, I'm a, you got a big solid can't hold it back. Man. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. damn it. You know, I'm 75. I really can't, I can't really slide down that hill mm. the same mm. way I used to. That's all right. You did it a bunch. It's fun to think about, that's mm -hmm, for sure. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure I'll have uh, adequate, really adequate opportunities to uh, hook up with some peers uh, who are beginning to appear on the horizon after being in eclipse for a long time. Oh, sure. And looking forward to meeting some folks I've never met mm -hmm. that, that were working when we were. Right on. Yeah. In, in a social kind of zeitgeist, that's ripe for newness you know i think on the other side well, of this we're coming into a world that has been changed is but it's a process as and there's usual. malleability there though well i agree no i agree with you 100 percent. but looking forward there's you know there's there's work to be done yes, yes. and but i and at the same time you know an awful lot of people just have nothing and are living on a rock somewhere yeah. and it's just like dang it yeah. you know i'm not in, I, I'm not sure how a lot of those situations are going to be addressed. Yeah. So here we are in 2022, and the stage has been set for psychedelics to come into be integrated into mental health and society. And you you saw the breakout, you know, the emergence of them on the scene. And here we are, 50 years down the road, and you're witnessing the beginnings of a the integration of them into our society. What do you think about and what uh, do you notice? First of all, we're talking about the left coast. Oh, yeah. I do not... <laughs> I forget sometimes. I don't know that this is a universal declaration of psychedelic uh, interest. You mean it's not from like this the, everywhere? I don't, I don't know. We don't have a, a network right now. You haven't been to Iowa in a long time. I have not been to Iowa or Pennsylvania. Mm. So, uh, I, I, you know, I, I really don't know where it's at. And we've sort of been down, you know. We haven't been anywhere 
uh, we ha- we haven't thought about things that we should have been doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic was like setting up networks of information and shit. I think a, a lot of people have lost touch with yeah. their friends because they aren't going to shows. Sure, no one you saw know? it coming either. Yeah, and it, and we're not really we weren't really prepared. Yeah. So um, I've been smoking a lot of weed. You know, CBD blocks COVID. <laughs> yeah, they say layer it on. Yeah, so just stay stoned all day. <laughs> what, what more could yeah. you ask? Yeah, why is there a smoke a joint what mandate? Fun. Come on. Yeah, I, I really yeah <laughs> love to get something done, but so far <laughs> not so much. But the medicalized model, do you feel okay with that? How do you how do you feel about that? The way it's coming into therapy. Well, I think the first delicate, very careful procedures are being developed. We're working with psychedelics in a clinical, you know, or a semi-clinical controlled situation mm-hmm. with trained staff. Uh, we're interested to find out how they got trained. But uh, right. with what we would assume be quality drugs that uh, are not street drugs. Significant with, point. With specific dosages. Yes. So people can... And then can be quizzed afterwards to find out how they did mm-hmm. or, you know, studied as, you know, human study animals mm-hmm. and, you know, mm-hmm. find out how their cognition went, you know, how did their, how was their, you know, take their heartbeat and, yes. you know, find out how they're doing, which is, which is fine. You know, it's a little weird because I've done this at Stanford. And oh. they pay you. They pay you all twenty bucks. You know. You did some of the. the... I did ketamine that way. Oh, far out. Yeah. Well, I didn't like that one. <laughs> that was a knockout. That's a knockout. Drug. You were observed and quizzed and all that. Yeah. Wow. And uh, you know, and they knew how long it lasted, you know, and all that stuff. So they would just come around and check on me when when I was supposed to wake up. I'd be like, "What happened to me?" <laughs> anyway, you know, that was that was then. Yes, know, but yes. I did a bunch. I did all of that to make money at mm-hmm. Stanford. Mm-hmm. So so interesting. And they never asked me how old I was. Huh. Uh. Uh-uh. Uh. How about that? Yeah. Anyway, it was it was a uh, it was a, a source of income. Yeah. And so I met. Uh, oh gosh, the two tall doctors. Um, they run uh, in the program? Not, uh, uh, that were, oh, oh, uh, uh, Metzner and Leary? No, 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 oh. no, no. At Stanford, they, oh god. Those guys that were running that. Okay, I'll get it in no. a minute. But uh, so, you know, they wanted to. The tech. I thought the ketamine trial was a bit crude because mm-hmm. that they knocked me on my ass. Oh. You know, I was not expecting it. Wow. You know, oh god, I went right. I went out like a light. Oh. Okay, <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah. So I had a bunch of experience with that before I met Kesey. Yeah. Oh, I see. Before I met the pranksters. Mm-hmm. So I worked that whole summer at Stanford until I finally got fired for ingesting the Ibogaine sample before I ran it in the mass spectrometer. But that's a story for another time. talking the other day about the about the drug war the drug war prisoners um some of them that are just being released mm-hmm. you said some really poignant things to me it's good yeah. well i recently had a a, a you know a, a download from a prisoner and i i 
began to understand something I had not thought about before. Really? Uh, all of our joy and passion in the music and, and in our, you know, our basically LSD-fueled culture um, around psychedelic music and the, the wonderful uh, dance craze that we started, you know, and it was just, you know, it, was, it has been a lot of fun. And now I come years later to the realization that there's people in jail oh. for making LSD available at shows who got picked up, arrested, thrown in jail, threw away the key, and sat there for years and years and years. And we didn't know about them, really. Okay. Maybe we saw somebody get taken away, but we never followed through. Um, mm. uh, music management can't handle that kind of stuff, yeah. I think. Yeah. They just can't. And, um, and the band is in there was, of an insular world. Insular world really, yes, and they move on to another town two days later. So there's no real connection there to the to those people who were disappeared yeah. at a concert, went to court, got convicted, and were incarcerated. <laughs> for decades. Some for decades. And we hadn't we took no responsibility for this. Mm -hmm. Or at least I didn't know anybody in the music mm -hmm. business that took responsibility for it. Uh I think people knew about it. But somehow that that knowledge never coalesced into a major action to, to try to either change the law, which we certainly could have tried, mm, yeah, and or to you know somehow pay off pay off the world and help these people get the proper attorneys that they needed. Um, I know there was some small efforts in this way, but but I think the number of arrests that were made way out way out outmanned any any amount of, of effort that was put into it by the bands to yeah. help people manage their, their legal disaster. Well, the band was targeted by a very specific DEA multi-year operation in the 90s, Operation Dead End. Very elaborate, very uh, well-financed, you know, deep undercover informants that would tour and befriend for, I mean... I know guys who spend years with, with these narcs, and then they'd roll on them. And... Yeah, and so stuff like that is, like, so invisible to the band. I would imagine so. Uh, I think that we all just kind of missed it because those folks disappeared off our radar, hmm. and we had to go on to the next gig. How would you know? You know? How would we know? Uh, somebody might have cl clued us in a little bit better, yeah. but what could we have done? We're skating ahead of... The DEA all the time, hmm. you know. Our own practices include things that would be of of interest to the arresting officers. So, you know, we have no control over what people are doing backstage, really, yeah. and or you know, behind the stage or on the way to the show. So, the number of arrests grew without us really realizing what was going on. Yeah. And I recently met someone who had served 21 years in the Midwest for being popped at a show for selling some LSD. And my take on that is, wow, this person was making the, the great light go on for a lot of people. Yeah. This was providing the ultimate uh, experience at a dead show that created the most rabid fans 
you know, and sp- and was spreading the love light all over the place. And I can't find fault with that. No. Uh, but it's a great personal cost, this cat. If. Tremendous personal cost. And, and all the others that are there that we don't know anything about. Yeah. Has anybody tracked any of this no. stuff? Not to my that's knowledge. Right. Like, the and list? that's a terrible shame. That's like a giving up a gigantic resource of energy, commitment, and, you know, just entrepreneurship. So giving the people what they want. That was part of what the Grateful Dead did. Yep. And they would play a ripping show. And if, and, if, and if people were just sitting on their hands out in the audience, they'd be going like, what happened? You know, for some reason, nobody's having a good time. Well, how come? Maybe they just weren't getting any, any excitement from their intake. Ah. So I, this is all kind of lately I've uh-huh. gotten this. And yeah. I was, how, could, how could that be that I wouldn't really notice this for a long time? I know that... Rock Scully, who was the Grateful Dead's manager back in the day, he took some action on this. But he's been gone a long time. He died some years ago. And um, really, he sometimes would go down and try to spring people after a show. He would, he would spot some of, this, some of this police action going on. And that was a real deterrent to people's enjoyment of the show was to see somebody get busted and hauled oh. out. I saw some horrible busts on tour, like, you know, play out in the parking lot, like really traumatic yeah. busts. Yeah. 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 Terrible takedowns. Oh, guys getting tackled. Yeah. yeah. All of the, all terrified, of you know, terrified, pushed down into the gravel, whatever, you know, I, all I can say is I, I apologize hmm. for not getting this picture before because we were on the bus to the next town. And so the band was playing. They couldn't see it. The uh, the audience went home, you know, the, they swept the floor, yeah. and we didn't see any more sign that this had happened to good people. To your knowledge, was the band or management ever approached by law enforcement to, you know, be spoken to directly about this this perception that the band was a traveling LSD distribution oh, network? We, well, we heard a lot about that. Okay. You know, and but they directly. tried to blame the band for distributing LSD mm-hmm. over and over yeah. in various Midwestern states mostly, or even Arizona was a good one. Yeah. But, uh, you know, but the, so the blame game was getting played, and it kind of obliterated the reality that certain individuals were paying for everybody's fun. It rolled over on the on the kids in the lot who were moving the yes. doing the work. And and basically, one of the great pleasures of a of a Grateful Dead show and some other bands was that you could you could buy a tab of you know sort of not very strong acid and and have a ripping good time with the music and all you know the the full. The entire experience, the full-hearted experience of it all. You know, the joy, the glory, the fun, the music, and and to have people hauled out and put in a cell for some incredible number of years, because LSD was seen by many jurisdictions as just the worst possible thing, way you know, so bad, you know. So much worse than heroin and so on. So these guys would get in long sentences. These people had to had to pay with their their life essence yes. for everybody else's uh, glorious mm-hmm. achievement and fun. Yes. You know yes. what what 
sitting in the stands a little high was just, it was the greatest, you know? It was like so much better than sitting there feeling grumpy because your, your butt's sore, you know, sitting on a wooden bench or something. You, this, the whole thing of being high at a show, you know, and I'm speaking from personal, <laughs> the personal experience place, that's just glorious, you know? Everything is great. And uh, to have so many people that we really never reconnected with who had had the opposite experience mm-hmm. um, and got hauled off. Yeah. I'm embarrassed. Hmm. And a whole mixture of feelings. I'm not just, yeah, a whole mixture of feelings. Uh, but the strongest one that's risen to the top is a feeling of responsibility. Right on. I we respect cr- you for that. We created, Grateful Dead created the, the draw, you know, yeah. for all of this. Uh, yeah. There was really no protection we could have given, yeah. but we sure as hell could have tried harder. Right on. And I think the other thing we could have done was to stay current with the local promoters about the number of people and who they were. Oh, yeah. That got hauled off in handcuffs. Yeah. And followed their cases and help them get a better attorney. Yeah. You know, help them, you know, help them through the thing and, and at least send them a freaking letter. So they know that somebody cares about them. No doubt. And it's just, it hurts me to think about how many people that might have been. Yeah. And I don't, I have no idea. We won't know the number. We won't know the number, yeah. We never will. Um, It just seems to me now that that I just want to voice my thanks to those people for making it better for everybody by bringing some proper L into the shows. That's right. Uh, that made it all so much better for everybody. It's a brave act. It was very brave, and it was, and yeah, it was kind of in your face, but it was, it was, it was, um, the product of the day. You know, it really was. It made everybody's day better. Community service. Yes, it was community service, and you know, okay, they're making a few bucks, sure. and some some folks were selling stuff in there that God knows what it was. You mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. and I and I, but. Yeah, you know, we didn't we didn't take responsibility, and we got on the bus and went to the next town. Yep. We went to the next gig Kept and moving. left, and and nothing was thought about that last one, um, yeah. because you had to go to the next one and you had to be ready for it. You had to be rested, and the band had to have have all their little catering and all the, mm-hmm. you know, all the niceties and so on that wow. the promoter would do. Yeah, and the complete lack of protection for audience members uh, was something that didn't get dealt with right. very often. Or just acknowledgement, at least, right? Like you said, acknowledgement of, of, yes. of, of the position they were in now. And Yeah, we didn't think about it. Yep. And I know that Rock Scully thought about it. Cool. And there was other a few other people that thought about it. But but I don't think the musicians had time. And, you know, as... And they were the directors of the whole thing. Mm. If the musicians didn't want to do something, it didn't happen. Okay. You know, they were the final arbiters yes. of of where the band went and when they played and who they played for and all of those things. Yes, and they were concerned with, you know, completely immersed in being musicians. They were completely they were immersed in ha- whether their gar- guitar was in tune yeah, or if musician. the piano was properly set up. You know, they had so many things on their minds, and it was and they and their whole thing was to put on a transcendental show. So now that we're at this stage of a um, 
the early, like a new renaissance. You know, laws are changing. And, and there's this, it's being created as we speak, the, the new paradigm of yeah. psychedelic space in society moving forward. How do you, when you look back and you consider the things you just expressed and you look forward, what, what matters to you? That, that's carried yeah. forward. I think that what matters to me is 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 finding a way to locate these people that are still incarcerated and help them get out. Okay, make that a priority. Yes. Yeah. Because non- that would be fair. Nonviolent. That's right. You know, they weren't doing anything really bad. You know, so they they were just filling a need, basically. And these drugs are now decriminalized. A or, lot or LSD of LSD now in Oregon is decriminalized. It's you know we're at that point where decriminalization is moving forward in a lot of different states. Um, obviously, there's going to be some holdouts, <laughs> but uh, yeah. you know we've we've kind of learned we've learned a lot of lessons since then, and uh, you know America's changed, and so various recreational drugs are much more readily accepted by the That's general right. public. That's right. Except for some people, but still, we have a legal justice system that makes money off of people, mm-hmm. and and fine, you know, fines are really nice, and so on and so forth. We're still stuck with the old system, is what sure, I'm trying sure, to say. Sure, sure. And it's hard to get people out, you know. And we have to. It it breaks my heart to think about some of the stuff that's happened in the wake of a dead show. Yeah. You know, as we left town, other people had to leave their lives. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's all related. Well, but not every city is the same. Yeah. You know, counties have rules, cities have rules, states have different rules. Sure. It's still a confusing landscape, it and is. and people who travel to shows are in the same position. That's right. You cross through multiple jurisdictions. You cross through the jurisdictions. Somebody decides they don't like the way you look and decides to pull you over and look in your pockets, yep. and you're screwed. And Nothing you know, in your pocket that was legal in California is not legal in where Arizona. You. Right. That's right. You better not be, be heading to Texas with that particular thing. So uh, learning the the boundaries and the rules and the ramifications is a complex process yes. so you've got to talk to other people but one worthy one worthy of doing the research there has to be communication uh between audience members in order to educate everybody yeah uh every jurisdiction is a little different and some are much much uh more vindictive than others mm. so i feel like we're we're sort of behind on all of this stuff the rules have been changing some of them have just been vanishing entirely which is nice you know we would like more of that the speed of that progress has been surprising and i wonder what happens at at basketball games and football games and so which are huge audiences in the same arenas are there people dosing at basketball games i wonder i believe that that's a possibility dosing beer but yeah, what about the damn beer, you know? <laughs> People are getting hammered at those things and 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 behaving badly, I might add. And then driving home. So More acid in sports. <laughs> oh God, that's a bumper sticker there for you, you to print. That one might that. get might get you in trouble. <laughs> like you that pulled over. <laughs> so we do have to be cautious how we how we blatantly how blatant we can be about all this stuff. But I would really like to see uh, 
the organization of of rock and roll musicians uh, pick up the pick up the pace here and and allow a fund to be created uh to to help spring people yeah. out hire a couple people this. to be in hire and, and hire some good lawyers and and have them like show how to here's a how to you know how to deal with this That's because right. i think it's a major problem for people uh, and it's usually young people. Yeah. You know, it's kids. In the prime of their life. Kids just coming out of college That's or right. coming out of high school. And they're getting in this very serious position with the law. And they really need to know how to protect themselves. Yep. And how to how to get a good attorney. Yeah. So this the only advice I can give. Right on. Is the quality of your attorney is, is essential in these things. Unless there's a super vindictive uh, legal system yeah. in a particular venue, that that has to be taken into account, and there should be a warning put out mm. with the tickets, oh. you know, or somehow get that to the audience Smart before idea. they come in, yeah. so that they can come in, 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 they can come in and not worry about being popped uh, too much. Yeah, when the so, tour dates are released, you could have color codings for each state, like like level of of risk. I think that's a really good idea. Uh, brainstorm with this guy but do something about it you know we got to do something about it and we got to do something about about helping people get out because that's no place no that's no place for them and it's just they haven't they haven't pulled a gun on anybody they haven't shot their their relatives they haven't done any you know they haven't done these things all they've done is provide a product to To somebody who wants it that is that is small and insignificant, right. really, in the great scheme of things. And, and life-affirming, you know, right. although the law doesn't see it that way. But thank goodness mandatory minimums, people worked hard and got those removed. And that has made a big difference. Because, you know, back in the, back in the 90s, when a lot of these busts were going down, the judge couldn't, couldn't give... You look at the circumstances of the bust. Right. There could be great unfairnesses, things mm-hmm. that would normally get cases thrown mm-hmm. out. Mm-hmm. The judge had no say. He had to look at the the, the, law, the mandatory the law. minimum and include the carrier weight. I will add of the LSD. Yeah. So. Yeah, that right? was a that was a big one. That was fucked. Yeah. So so they, twenty years of their time was for the sugar. Yeah. That the acid was on. Yeah, and it's just these these rules just don't meet the, the standards of today. Well, and they were vindictive and uncivilized. They were they were vicious, vindictive, and they were also self serving in that their budget goes up. They get more money from the people at the number of arrests, arrests they make yeah. and the number of people they have in jail. Yeah, it's a, it's a big you know, Unfairness has unfortunately haunted our criminal justice system for a long time. I recently read Angela Davis's autobiography. Oh, oh if you want to read oh. a scary story wow. about what can happen to you if you're an outspoken activist with the wrong color. Mm. Oh boy, you yeah. know it's it's it a chiller. Her, huh? It's a it's a it's a terror tale. Wow, and um, you know she she writes very well, so it's a wonderful book to Excellent. read. I highly recommend it to people. Very good. Um, there's there's so much more that that I feel like the rest of us could do to help the situation with the folks that are currently mm. serving sentences on Grateful Dead based you know people that were arrested at shows 25 years later yeah i think that 
I think I'm having a revelation. Yeah, that's, and I, that's really and beautiful. And I'm glad I am because, you know, yeah. our 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 fun, you know, our living, our money that 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 the band brought in all those long ago years in the sixties and seventies and eighties and nineties, basically, we're now in a different place. But you know the to, the amount that the our lovely audiences spent on going to the shows was really a lot you know over, accumulating yes. you know you put it all together it's like wowie oh yeah and we sh- really I would love to see some of our some of our dear friends who have law law degrees pull together something here that would that would be effective uh, a community effort right to on. to even things up for people right and uh you know i don't know how effective that would be but that's my feeling yes and i i thought that was so poignant and so touchingly expressed and i really respect you that you naturally had that sense of awareness and and, and compassion and sense of responsibility because yeah. i hadn't seen that expressed yet and it's very important isn't it odd it hasn't been expressed it is and that's all the reason I, more that i respect you you saying this. Yeah. And, and it's so important. When I popped this idea a few weeks ago, it surprised me. Mm. And I was like, oh, why the heck didn't we do yeah. this a long it time ago? This isn't right. Yes. This is so wrong. Come on, man. You know? Yep. I, <laughs> yeah, I started taking LSD really a long time ago. And it's, you know, I haven't had a problem with That's it. Right. I've always been a good girl. That's right. You didn't? In speed or be, or beat anybody up or do it, you know, it was yes. just for fun. It was citizen, really. And and it wasn't, Good you know, thing. it wasn't meant as a as a uh, political act of defiance of the law or any of that kind mm. of stuff. Just, just life we enrichment. We were, we were it was discovery. Very good life enrichment. I think is an important term. Mm-hmm. And music enrichment because it sure makes it sound better. Oh yeah, it does. It makes <laughs> and, everything better. and you know, and then you have a you have a just that that wonderful heart opening time. And so while we're busy having our hearts open, some poor choker who <laughs> brought a handful of stuff to the show and sold it is going. He's in the paddy wagon. He's in the paddy wagon. He's going away. He's going down, and he's going to what environment? Oh, one of extreme brutality and violence. May I talk about that yeah. environment for so, a second? Yeah, so what was that like, hanging with those two... Well, you had two deadheads that even that sparked this in you, that had done yes, time who were now free. they had done so much time. Tell us about that. They guys, you know, went in as, as you know, teenagers, basically. Young people hadn't even been to college yet. Yeah. And um, just coming out so much later. And just, you know, they don't not happy people on the inside sure. they've seen they've been through too much already well, tremendous toll on their lives and it doesn't do them any good at all to to spend multiple years either in a in a county or a state or a federal facility yeah. or get moved around all the time which is what they do to keep people from from talking to each other yeah. which is the move them around game and often forced into violence and, because of the environment. And the environment is terrible. Mm-hmm. And uh, even if it's even if it's what you would call a good facility, which is, you know, <laughs> it's awful. Fuck you know, yeah. it's all it's awful. It's all awful. And and it's punitive in this in this strange American, you know, crush them now <laughs> punitive That's mindset. Right. That's right. And it's golly, I just feel terrible, terrible about it. Well, so these guys were what working on a. So they approached you, 
kind of told you their story about, I, and, and they were they were kind of working on a. Yeah, and so and so uh, there's a film crew out roaming around the country, um, picking up stories about these times. You LSD know, in particular. Working on, working on stories about, basically, the Grateful Dead shows troubles there and then what they've done after that you know mm -hmm. so uh this will be this is guerrilla convict films oh yeah and uh the the filmmaker's been working on it for quite a t quite a while uh it's going to be a series of really good stories yeah but some of those stories are going to have tragic endings because that's the way our system has been so the whole idea that you can that you can send some teenager to jail for twenty years and have him come out rehabilitated is bunk. It's total bunk. Well, it's you know. There's no no, no resources provided to them for the rehabilitation. In, in some for, in some of the nicer uh, joints, yes, they do. You know, That's they generous. can't even get their high school diploma or something. Yeah, I suppose so. And but but for the most part, it's get just fit. a really painful episode. Yeah, and it hurts me personally to think about that and I I would hope that some effort could be made to ameliorate the situation and and, yeah. and get everybody else out yeah I mean even like in Oakland everything's like wide open in Oakland California Mushrooms. you know it's, 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 <laughs> which is great yes but what about the handful of people that are yeah. still serving time because a judge put the hammer down and said Boom! You're going in for X number of years. Yeah, that's a cruel irony that makes no sense in, every in a justice to, every perspective. Every once in a while, they'll let a bunch of people out, and yeah. I know they've let out some of the older makers. Yeah. Uh, well, and one of the heads that was here with you that mm -hmm, you met with mm -hmm. was actually exonerated by Obama on his way out of office. That's right. And, and he had done twenty. That cat had done twenty years, yeah, I believe. Twenty years, and then there's many more like him, and I think that. Uh, some of the smaller jurisdictions were more punitive than the big cities because the big cities had so much turnover. They needed to move people out. That's right. But, you know, jumping from jumping from uh, one facility to another, you know, let's move these guys over there. And it, all of those things are, you know, completely ruin all your relationships. And it's, yeah. it's more punishment. Yep. It's more punishment. And it's just... Oh God! Please let's stop the punishment. Let's do it. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's it's hurting me to think about it, uh, and I don't I don't have the I don't have the network to know what the tr what the numbers are. Yeah. I don't know if anybody's even looking. Yeah. So. But you speaking, this is a really important. Con it, you know, it's a, a really important posturing. Yeah. In and, this time, you know, these people deserve this, and um, this is a starting point. And I know that the the band, the Grateful Dead, has done some of this but it's but it's been a while yeah. since any of that work was was really being pursued um as legalization has happened in a number of uh venues uh that doesn't really change the picture for the folks that, that right. are previously caught up that's right so we do have a an issue with that and i and i i want to hear ideas i would like to some, hear some ideas about how to organize for uh, so for work on that issue, I think it's a worthy issue. I think we could get foundation money to work on this issue. It's you know it's about people's lives and it's and it's about us. Yeah. 
Especially if money is being generated soon commercially with the sale of psychedelics. You know, this is it, a really interesting wrinkle, isn't it? Yes, it that is. Psychedelics are suddenly becoming almost acceptable in some jurisdictions, but not Commodified. all. And by golly, somebody <laughs> better come out with a map that has this city in red mm, and that yeah, city in color green. Coded. So please, you know, we need to do this work. We need, we've got to track this and pay attention to it and keep keep our people safe. Yep. Because those are our people. That's right. And they deserve that. Yes. And and I, I just feel strongly that there's something that can be done, but it has to be done in concert with legal eagles who can see the see the loopholes yeah. and can create create a, a lever to pop these people out. And the the voice of the people who support this, you know. And it I, needs to be backed by by a serious all of art. us. Well, a serious all of art. us. This is, you know, back in the day, in Haight Ashbury, which is where Jerry, Jerry and I got together, was in in in, in the Haight Ashbury. There was a legal organization called Halo, you know, Haight Ashbury Legal Organization, and they kind of specialized in this stuff. And it was uh, two attorneys, Brian Rohan and Michael Stepanian, and they were effective. And getting heads preventing, up. You oh, know, preventing. preventing this hard time. The hard time, and they were really good at getting people out pretty quickly, but that all faded after a while because everything became national. You know, we weren't a small town band anymore. Okay. Uh, the the bands went out and had huge. You know, look at the size of the venues now. What fifty five thousand people in a times. football stadium? Yeah. What percentage? Of those people are get are walking home at night, scot free, and how yeah. many got taken someplace else? Yeah. we don't know. We don't know. And I do. My impression is is these days in the last ten years, yeah. busts at shows uh-huh. are far less common. There is not yes. the focused like special operations no. that there was when That's the Grateful right. Dead was actively touring. Because because I've witnessed so many of those takedowns. Yeah, and oh, you, you know from you a could distance, be there a Nazi on. Uh, that's right yeah. and I had binoculars so I really could see them and there's nothing you can do Fuck. you're up there on the stands and you're seeing this thing go down like you know a, a hundred a hundred <laughs> yards away and it's going oh damn you know oh yeah. that poor guy shoot yeah. you know yeah. and it was you know and then we have our, our moment of compassion and then we go home or get on the bus and go to the next thing and we can't think about that anymore. Yeah. You know, there's really no mechanism for us to yeah. reach back That's and right. fix it. That's right. You start now. I, mean, I don't think it's too late. Yeah, it's not. And it's a ripe opportunity yeah. because we're at the dawn of a new psychedelic renaissance. Yes, and there's, and there's a lot of people in their late teens, early 20s that are, caught, they're, that are vulnerable. Yeah. And maybe and not, not looking over their shoulders as much as they should. Yeah. But they need to be they hear this cautionary tale, really. Yeah, and I and I do think that our legal friends, folks, folks in each state, you know, there should be or could be something to deal with this in a, in an organized manner where we're all talking to each other, we're discussing various jurisdictions, you know, you know where to go, where not to yeah. go, you know, 
you know, there might be a place that really the band shouldn't be playing mm-hmm. because too much of the audience is at risk oh, there. That's a thought. Uh, you know, I think I've heard that come up. Because that would years. bring pressure on, yeah, if you weren't endorsing a venue because of the local heat because was so heavy. Because the local heat is so bad and that, that, there, that has come up. Then the venue owners would get yeah. talking to the police and, and you know, so. Uh, there's, there's a lot of variety there and there's a lot of places to, to, to mess up. Those are great practical ideas to begin with. And but I would just love to see a national organization based on this concept that could reach out to the various states, get the information, find these people, you know, at least to send them a letter. Yeah. You know, say, really. Hey man, you know, we know about you. Yeah, man. And, oh, um, imagine the difference oh, that'd make for them. It's women too. That's I mean, right. There's people women I know That's who right. have gone have gone away and disappeared. And it's just it's just something we need to do. Right on. Right on. Well, Matthew, you know, uh, one of the things that uh, this episode really did kind of hit a few chords with me about is because, you know, I personally have lived through a lot of, you know, like we've clearly established in this uh, podcast that we're, you know, that we were, or we were psychedelic warriors or, you know, curious about life. We're a good, like try to be good loving people. We care about our communities. We care about health and art and yeah. just living our best lives ever. And uh, sometimes that takes a wrong turn and, mm. Um, so, you know, uh, our family, you know, just had like a cute, like little life in Humboldt County, raising little kids, you know, just kind of living the life that, you know, everybody around us was kind of part of that, you know, Northern California kind of, uh, back to the land, uh, counterculture kind of thing going on you know and uh and we're just like living it you know and one of the consequences that occurred is um uh i think uh some of you know some we're you know basically um my partner husband father of my children Mm. got arrested and Mm. um for non-violent uh drug offenses that were you know um just uh, a shame because it really impacted our lives um probably to this day you know try to be mentally healthy i'm a big advocate of uh helping uh mental health causes and i think uh a lot of the things that i champion and some of the things that are dear to me and some of the reasons i have a true deep compassionate uh, desire to help others and i'm truly passionate about these topics is because I have a lot of personal experience with them. Um, They, it was a federal case. Um, They came in at, I want to get the time right, but about 5 a.m., still dark outside, banging on the door, um, 
guns to everyone's head. Um, personally, you know, uh, I was undressed because I was just sleeping in the bed. Um, uh, held everyone. Um, uh, I, I can all I can see are like my my children's faces. They were very little at the time, um, three and eight years old, uh, and just the uh, brutal trauma of um, how over the top it was. Uh, we didn't have anything really in the house. Um, it was a big conspiracy case where. Um, I wasn't involved at all. Luckily, I've never had a criminal record and never been convicted of anything, and I haven't done anything. But that doesn't mean that we can't be around people who um, are exposed to all kinds of challenges, you know. And um, it was was just insane, the amount of uh, force and people involved in it like you couldn't believe how many people were there there was like uh people from other states and like state agents and dea agents and you would think that we were like pablo escobar (laughs) but like truly it was just the amount of money and time and energy that our country uh puts towards that is just mind-boggling right and uh and that's just the beginning of the experience because it really um, involves a whole host of things, attorneys and uh, all of this kind of stuff. And there's a whole legal system that you know, don't you think you might know about it, but until you're in the belly of the beast, you just truly cannot imagine how bureaucratic and cumbersome and insane and illogical the entire system is and it's not set up even though you know I like a you know I know like um my husband's parents for example were just great Americans they thought you know everything is set up to protect and serve and you know nothing could be crooked or misunderstood or misconstrued and it isn't until you experience this that you realize how um (laughs) how how further from the truth that can be in in a lot of ways right and uh i think you know i i think the real part of this i think is important to communicate is you know how impactful it is personally and emotionally to kind of experience uh that kind of trauma especially if you're like you know like you know aware i don't want to like you know sound woo woo or new age or be like over the top right like you can have a way of talking about like counterculture and psychedelics is like this whole you know can be so idealized it almost sounds goofy and a little unrealistic (laughs) but like you know when you're just kind of good happy kind people i don't think you realize like how traumatizing (sighs) and how incredibly serious and how little you are in a big huge Mm. system like that 
Mm, and just how fully gnarly they can turn on you, huh? Man, it's just uh, so um, damaging, not just to the mm-hmm. people who are incarcerating. God knows they're the ones that are really experiencing it. But since that wasn't my personal experience, I don't feel like I can talk to that. But I can mm. speak to what it's like for the people who love you that and mm. care about you that are on the other end of that and how much that just impacts you and i feel like it kind of defined my whole reality sure must have you know right you know and so i and and uh what it takes to um be as fortunate and as lucky as we were you know i feel like it you know we had a lot of things that gave us privilege like um we uh could read we could speak english to communicate with attorneys and you know uh present well we weren't like from another country where we didn't understand the laws well um we were like had had a home I had enough I could always pull together not to say like I didn't struggle or work my ass off but I was still fortunate enough to be able to you know and I could always go visit I could always put money on their books I mean you know some people are like oh you're like a single mom or something and and I really understand and my heart is around all of those women and mothers out there who work so hard to raise their kids and there is but it's so crazy when you're doing that but plus you're also having to put money on someone's books all of your family vacations are to a prison like merry christmas time to go to the prison oh my god <laughs> like oh. you know and it's a privilege and a joy that i got to do that i wouldn't sure. change it for a trillion dollars but that is such a reality change and I'm not saying that prison doesn't have its place. I'm not saying that the justice system is this, you know, horrible thing that we shouldn't have. I'm not against it at all. I feel like you can't have a civilized society without some parameters and people to enforce those parameters. I don't think you could live in like utter, I'm not an utter chaos anarchist, although, hey man, everybody has you know, her perspective, I'm not going <laughs> to counter argue that. I'm just going to say I understand where those people are coming from. And I yeah. even think some of the people involved in those systems want to be good people. But oh, it's our policies and laws, mandatory minimums played heavily into the length of time that he was incarcerated for. Right? Okay. And that was like, um, my, let's see, so... Um, yeah, my kids were graduated from high school and going into adulthood when he got out. And that's like their whole entire childhoods, basically. And so that oh, really how, how long affected did he, how long us. Did he, how long did he serve total? Um, I think like altogether like 10 years. I don't want oh to have gosh. my information like completely yeah, wrong, that's... but like that's about right. Like 2005 because Hurricane Katrina happened in 2005. Is that right? Yeah. Um, it was I like, think so. I remember right. it was like right in between Hurricane Katrina and then there was this like, um, <laughs> there was like these shows in Vegas or something. Uh-huh. So it was like, I think it was like 2005. Oh, what, like Vegas? <laughs> yeah, how do you remember this stuff? Oh, yeah, we took the bus out there for... <laughs> 
a 50th anniversary of the acid test yes because we had big tickets to that and that was Uh, our big plans but thwarted they were that's when that happened oh yes and so it's like right in between because like katrina happened gosh man august or something so it's like right in between those two two events and and then he got out like 2015 so yeah like 10 10 years there was oh also some, you know, halfway house time because yeah. uh, he qualified for, like, the drug program and some things like that, which was spent in the Tenderloin in San Francisco. Oh, boy. <laughs> right. So not only did they, like, incarcerate you, but they are like, oh, let's put you into, right. like, some, you know, obviously – um, no one in Beverly Hills Gnarliest, or Saint like, Helena, drug, like, or like yeah, or like you know, Carmel wants like a halfway house in their neighborhood. So of course, it's going to be like the neighborhoods that are you know more marginalized or underserved, or you know, communities that wow. they place these in. But they're also you know, like literally, you come out of the halfway house on your you know time to go off to work or do whatever it is that you're released out for the day and you're yeah. right into turk and taylor street oh, <laughs> so, gnarly. so you know a lot of people don't make it they get out they get into yeah. the halfway house and drugs oh. and everything are right there for them and then it's just this oh speech gosh. cycle that people get trapped into oh. yeah yeah is, thank you for sharing that that's really gosh I Such mean, I barely, experience. I barely am like touching on that because that sure, is, I can imagine so like, many layers to that, huh? Right. And so much of a conversation, you could never distill it into like, you know, a few minutes and, and yes. there's so much personal stuff in there so that much. like, how could you even, you know, possibly share that kind of thing. But I hope the main takeaway is, is that, you know, uh, how we, how we treat drug use how we treat uh drug users uh how we treat addiction how we treat all of these things in our society isn't just some you know big conversation about you know whether or not uh you know we have this policy or we can make this much money off of it or who's in charge of it politically or how are we you know how does our community do something are we passing a proposition are we doing all of these things all those conversations are are interconnected and intertwined intimately but they do trickle down to individuals lives and it's not to take no responsibility for that because everything you do in life is a choice and all the choices have positive consequences and sometimes they have negative consequences Um, and they become more negative based on overarching laws and policies that kind of control what those consequences look like that's right well said yeah it could be there's Yeah, there's no way to even like say it any better because it's just such, uh, you know, not just a United States. I think there's like global challenges with that, right? Oh, and for sure, it's a, it's a human, it's a global human human rights issue, big time. Yeah. And I just yeah. I feel so um, yeah, just just thank you for that that share, and uh, I, I respect you know something I 
I, I feel like I, I told you this in different ways before, but I just respect you so much for um, everything you've been through and, and how you handled that. I mean, you really, really stepped it up as a, as a mom, as a partner. And I just can only imagine how difficult it was, but um, I really, yeah, I have so much respect for you and I'm so grateful for you to, for, for being willing to share that uh, something so personal with us. Well, I think I can thank our, um, our conversation and our interview because, you know, it's something, honestly, I, there's a lot of, you know, we hold a lot of stigma. There's a lot of shame. Yeah. There's a lot of like, you know, um, consequences that you feel like you might have out mm. in greater mm. society will people judge me will that affect my yeah. you know ability to like you know function in society and all of these kind of things sure. and even if it doesn't personally happen to you which again that hasn't personally happened to me even just being on the outside of it and affected yeah. by it has yeah. you know created all those kind of layers that I build up and hearing um, that brought forward how much we need to acknowledge things in order for them to change just yeah. hit me so deeply that man maybe I stay too quiet thank you Matthew you know and I you know I think like we're we're of the same we're of the same type or of the same breed man we just want to see you know people live their best lives ever and so That's it's right. not just it's not hurt. just lip service right like it's oh, like yeah. we're really like truly invested in it like not just for our own personal selves because you know that's just whatever we can just go about our lives and kind of work on ourselves personally and do all this kind of stuff yeah but just like a genuine care for other people and that that's comes right. from when you really understand like how amazing uh your potential is for your life like you're not defined i think by your the things that happen to you that's you, right what makes you who you are is what you do with what happens to That's you how you roll with them yeah and you've rolled with it like a champ right and i yeah. and i think that our audience i think that the people listening to us you know that's like the they know it and we know it for them, you know, and we know it with them, which is just like, you know, you can have all these kind of crazy, curious, <laughs> fun, exciting and adventurous experiences. And that's what makes you like alive. It's what, you know, drives you. And and even if you're kind of navigating some of the more challenging parts of that, it's not um it's not just like necessary, like you always have the opportunity to keep your life moving forward, to build on who you are. Mm -hmm. Like, I wouldn't be who I am today if I didn't have those experiences, if I didn't have some of those challenges or watch some of those um, tough things happen in my life. I don't know that it would have sure. built my character. I don't think I would have, you know, tried as hard to like show my kids like how uh, lucky we are in the world and well, use our privilege and opportunity to really try to be even better people than like we're not wow. perfect we're you know we mess up we're like human as they come wow. man and you know we have so much room to grow but i am saying like that in your life if you do try really hard to say okay 
this is some shit that's going on or around yeah, me. This yeah. is some stuff that's like really hard or tough. Man, it doesn't have to be your life. Like, I feel like the interview that you had or the conversation that you had with MG, she's got some great ideas. Oh, man. That was big. Yeah. Well, first of all, just again, Laura, you're such a special person. I mean, you, for you to roll with that the way you did without, you know, to any the way you, you've kept love and forgiveness in your heart, you know, you could have easily been, had rightfully so, you know, really been taken down by bitterness and anger. And I just, I did again, I just, you're just amazing. I respect, I respect you all so much, your whole family, and uh, and thank you. And uh, and yeah, and MG boy, she she um, really <laughs> brought forward some power, man. And that was really I think the first time, the first time, the um, the band's inner circle really directly acknowledged this issue. You know, and it's it's for her to take that head on the way she did with such honesty and such passion uh, is just incredible. And it's fertile ground for us, for us, it's fertile ground. And the the amount of responsibility she feels to these people, you know, is just something that is just above and beyond. And, And it's, it's, it's fertile ground for something, some real good to, to, you know, be made from this to be cultivated from this. So I, 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 let's just, Hey, everybody, let's, let's take this ball and run with it. You know, we got, we've been, we've been given a really special pass here, you know, from, uh, from, from the directly from the heart of the band and uh, let's do something good with it. Let's, let's, let's make her words, get some stuff done, man. Let's get some people out. I know I'm committed to helping see that vision through in any way that I can. And I'm not just, yeah. you know, saying it in just some kind of off the cuff, random way. Oh, I, I don't know. know that I personally have very much of a voice or very much power, but I know that that's something that um, kind of when I had all my experience, I was like, you know, I, in my heart, like just in my heart, I was like, I, cannot live with myself through my lifetime if I don't make some difference for what I've yeah. seen as a huge injustice towards yeah, people, right? right? To, to right. just, and actually knowing people, like actually knowing these people like firsthand, yeah. like being friends with them, talking to them, seeing them in visitation rooms, um, when everyone's getting out, like connecting with them, yeah. getting to know them, getting to talk to them on the outside. And it's not just this one personal experience. I mean, man, we've been in the scene for a long time. So we have yep. a ton of friends that we can name who have you know, kind of been fallen victim to some of the things that other people are now building in complete businesses or off of, right? Yeah. I mean, how we, I can't imagine people, people getting wealthy before, you know, those who who really sacrificed themselves to get us to where we are today are, are still behind bars. And if anybody out there who hears this, you know, and it strikes, you know, it, it speaks to you and you have any ideas, or any resources or networks, reach out to us. You can email us either through our website or call our our, our number one eight three three I am too high and leave us a message or some contacts and we'll get in touch. Yeah, you can check us out on our website. Um, There's a place to email us and leave us messages on our website um, as well. Um, And we'll have all the links to that uh, with the podcast and 
Yeah, we'll be doing some things in the future. Um, we're going to be working on some some different rates, some fundraisers and some scholarships and stuff. And, and this is going to be a cause that's at the forefront of our efforts. So <laughs> I'm so us. glad you said that, Matthew, because, you know, gosh, I, sometimes I think our minds are like melded and we're going to say the same thing <laughs> because, you know, actually when we sat down and we're kind of, what does this look like? What is our vision for this thing? Mm -hmm. The very first thing we did is not really write out like a business plan, but just kind of write out like, I don't know, like a manifestation <laughs> of what this looks like and yeah. one of the very first things that both of us kind of did on our own to bring together is both of us were like what we see is doing more than just having a podcast where we talk about oh, yeah. things or like having a social media whatever that the real true purpose is an opportunity to really give back to our community in a meaningful way and I can't think of a subject that's more close or clear to my heart so that's right that's anything right. we can do to make that happen is a hundred percent yeah down. we're here we're here to do good man we're, and we're here we're here for for you for you all we're here for our brothers and sisters you know that's what, what motivates me every day so yeah, and speaking of our brothers and sisters you know we are here for you and because of you and we want to hear from you so we set up a, a number a toll-free number you can call 24 7 and let us know what's on your mind. Leave us a question, something you've wanted to know related to drugs, addiction, health, recovery. And Laura and I, or one of our special guests, will answer next episode. And this week, we've got a really special treat because MG stuck around to take on one of our questions. So in the future, give us a call, and you got a shot at... at one of our co-hosts or ourselves taking on your question and reading it over the air. So come on down, folks. Let us know what's on your mind. one 833 am too high to like the number. one 833 am too high Yes, that number does look strange, and it is very strange, but I promise you it's real. So give a call. And let us know what is on your changed mind. Laura, let's roll it. You ever find yourself in a precarious drug-related situation? Facing questions that you know not the answers to. You ever think to yourself, I have nowhere to turn for such answers. Strange questions like, are these drugs illegal in this country? Or help with simple math equations. Like, now did that scale say micrograms? Or milligrams? milligrams. Did that last acid trip? If you're facing big questions about your place in the physical universe or wondering if your pet hamster really could see the color of your thoughts or the beloved classic Am I too high, man? Am I ever gonna calm down? 1-833-I-am-too-high That's right. Call now for your opportunity to have your questions read on the air by our team of completely unprofessional not trained and likely very stoned drug experts. 1833, I am too high. Until then, put on some good music, relax, and breathe. Yo, hippie, what you got in there? Fuck you, smoking, we're clean.
You know, it seems like there's a huge acceleration of funding and research, which, you know, I think is great. And there's a lot of novel psychedelics and uh, interest around that. More and more companies are kind of, you know, coming into the space. And I'm wondering if you feel like all of the research is what is driving all of this interest, or maybe there's something more to it. What's, yeah, that's an interesting call. So what I got from that, they've noticed there's a psychedelic renaissance happening. Mm-hmm. They've noticed the promising research. Is, it, is that what it's all about? Or is there, what do you think? Is there more that's driving this wave? Uh, well, I, I think that they, people have, a lot of people have recognized the usefulness of, of psychedelics in general. You know, there's, there's several out there. Uh, LSD being the, the one that we talk about the most. And it's just, I think there's a greater understanding of what's going on with them. Mm-hmm. The number of people that have that have taken a psychedelic and, and had a good experience or a, a learning experience or, you know, who knows what all kind of experiences they <laughs> might have had, but they talk. Yeah. And so because the conversation, the noise of the conversation has gotten pretty loud That's now right. and people are more open and talking. Yes. And, um, and... There, a, a lot of us older heads have not really held back on this topic. We yeah. have been talking about it pretty freely for a while. And now it's more important than it, ever because to it was our up. duty to do so. Yeah. You know, it's our duty to the to the general level of consciousness, as in in this country and in other countries, to you know begin to understand the playground that we've been handed. That's right. So I think that the reason it's a little bit more used and more popular is because frankly in my estimate it's a great thing. <laughs> I you know great gotta, things have their time eventually. Yes, you know. Uh I got to meet Dr. Hoffman. Oh, did you? Yes, I did. What was that about? That was that was a wonderful opportunity that I had in Switzerland years ago. Really? And Albert Hoffman was a, he he was so cheerful and and uh, and he was oh God he was like a hundred and one or something wow. or hundred and three I think when I met That's him incredible and uh, he, you know he and when I asked him about making LST oh he just giggled he was oh yes it's so easy to make you know <laughs> you just put these things together and 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 cook it together for a moment and boom you know you wow. got you've got the LSD. And and he kept he he kept me very amused with some of his stories about about the lab what happened in the labs. Oh, fantastic! So I think he really enjoyed it. And throughout um, his life, from my and understanding, he was he was a fine old gentleman and a top quality chemical scientist. That's right. That's right. And he stirred up the LSD, and it and the story got out, and other people learned how to make it. Yeah. And I can't name names, but they're they're they were many of them were people that I knew, and respected enormously because in those days it was so dangerous to be be manufacturing. Yeah, to even speak about it, to openly even like talk this. about it openly. Mm-mm. I can't emphasize that enough for for yeah. you younger folks out here. Yeah. The 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 degree of taboo, the 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 weight of of the. Well, fear, but of the caution, yeah, was all pervading, yeah, in in the realm of psychedelics. Yes, you had to be very thoughtful and very careful about 
even mm-hmm. speaking, being heard speaking about these things. That's right. Or you were in great danger. You were in danger because somebody would make a phone call well, on your behalf and say, "This guy's ta- over here talking about yeah. talking about LSD." And they'd follow you, know? you and they'd look, and check they'd your come phone right on over and check you out, and right. look in your pocket, and check your car and under the cushions, and yeah, you know, basically big, give you the once over. It's a big deal. And off you go. So. Too many have paid that price. There's too many people still paying it. And I really feel that all the rest of us need to, whoever feels this way, as I do about this, that it's our that's our responsibility in a way, you know, for our church. Yeah, yeah that's right. And it's kind of like a, a, what is it, a mitzvah is the Jewish word for this. Mm. You know, we have a mitzvah on oh, our hands. Yes, yes, yes. It's, it's our, it's our it, sacred cultural... It's our sacred cultural duty That's right. to deal with this. That's right. And because we are a culture. We are, yes. Whether we think about it that way or not, you yeah. know. Psychedelic West Coast North American culture is a rich tradition. <laughs> now. Now it is. Now it's a tradition. It's, it is. You know, this that, is and that's kind of cool. You know, this you got to it. say, it's really cool. I'm happy we have so many friends we haven't met yet. Yes. And I think that out there, there's a, there's some law students that would be interested in this project. And I feel that we could, you know, we could actually have an effect. It's an important thing to my heart. Yes. You know, for just for my heart's sake, I think this is something that I would like to spend some time mm-hmm. helping to organize. Uh, partially because I feel it keenly. You know, I saw too much of this, yeah. and I and I wiped it out of my mind. You know, at the shows, yeah. I would say, "Oh God, there goes another one." You know, damn it! And yeah. then I'd go back to listen to Dark Star, you know, <laughs> and you know, and, and and come up again. But you care. But you, I do care. You do care. I do care, and I and I and it's you know, those of us who have have reached to the angels need to come back down here and deal mm. with the folks that that definitely didn't make it to the good place. That's right. And mm. find a way to get them out and back out on the street and let's, let's lend them our hand. And into the into the creative part the creative culture that we've created here. Because it is a creative culture. Deadheads are a creative oh, bunch. If you're not a creative person, you're not going to like the show. <laughs> That's right. Know? That's right. Because the shows are wildly creative. And, and hey, if you're a kid, yep. you know, and you're and you're and you're 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 questing for mysticism and meaning in your life, you don't need to look over to India, or these mm-hmm. distant lands. Mm-hmm. If you're a North American kid, there is a psychedelic scene happening right where you are. Yes, and I, it is a rich, colorful, yeah. beautiful culture that needs to be carried forward and as as we're building this new psychedelic world i want to keep that in mind i know i want i want to build a make sure the foundation of it is on these principles Mm -hmm. that birthed this thing and and, you know it's our right to to travel the the realms angelic that is right it is our perfect right right. one of the fundamental sovereign human rights in my opinion yeah and so if we can get some circles going about this uh, I think that that legal legal change could flow, mm-hmm. and the time and is right. Some folks could could step out of there and get back into their lives, Let's and that it. would be a success that in my be. in my book. Yep. I can't stand to see anybody else go down that way. Yeah. I can't stand it. I know. I know. I'm, I Breaks mean, I'm, I can't stand it to the point where I'm in, I'm going to endanger myself mm-hmm. in this if I see any more of that yeah, man. activity. It's just too much. That's right. 
And uh, I, I want to see all our brethren and sistren who have been stuck in the joint for a while to just walk out. Please, let's get something going here. So that's my thought for today. Wow, that episode was out of sight. I can't wait to get back here and see you all again in two weeks. Next week, we've got a definite treat for you. An interview with the one and the only, Bobby Weir from The Grateful Dead. We'll tell you more about it when we're back. So stay tuned. And uh, we love you all. Thanks for changing your minds with us. Awesome, Matthew. I've been up all night. Shame.